Welcome to the Adapt Podcast, a podcast for executive leaders looking to be successful in the digital age. Get practical tips from successful leaders and listen as digital movers and shakers talk about how they transformed companies into the digital era. Here is your host, Luis Gonzalez. Welcome to another episode of the Adapt Podcast. This episode is the number three, and today I have my friend Gerard Chiva. Gerard is the managing director and founder of Acti Solutions. Gerard, thank you so much for being here with us. Uh, it's a pleasure. We know each other for several years, and it's always a really good way to squeeze some nice knowledge out of my good friend. So it's always a good opportunity for me to talk with you and love what you do and how you help your customers. So I really hope today to have here a really good session with you. Thank you so much, Gerard. Welcome. And please let us know a little bit about who is Gerard and what you do, please. Well, first of all, thank you very much for having me. It's an honor and a pleasure actually being number three in your awesome podcast. So thank you very much. So, well, as you were saying, I'm Gerard Chiva. I'm Spanish and I live in Barcelona with my family, my wife, Ruth, and two kids, Bruno and Abril. I'm co-founder and managing director of Active Solutions. What we do in our company is we help companies, other companies, build uh, better products and executives to build leading product organizations. What brought me here? Where I am? Where am I today? Well, uh, a little bit of a history. I hope it's not too boring. As many people in our sector or industry, let's say I started as an engineer, a software engineer, many years ago. And my first internships, let's say, because they were not jobs. I started with data mining in a small company in Barcelona. What at that time was called data mining, that nowadays is known as big data and machine learning. It was a really cool experience, and how we actually developed solutions for supermarkets to place the products close together that people were buying together or to assess risk for insurance companies of people who might uh, might churn their business. So it was really interesting thing at the time, although I, I didn't know the, the business implications because I was very young and also an engineer mindset. So, But now I realized that it was a really cool experience. Then I did more internships as a software developer. At one time, I think in 1998, I got my first proper job in Spain as Oracle, the you know the big American corporation, as a consultant in uh, the OLAP and data warehousing unit as a consultant. And then a few years later, I moved to internet. We participated in, a, in the development of the release of the first product, which was for a pharma industry and a product that nowadays is still leader in the sector, providing um, curated high-quality information for the pharma industry. And then I, I evolved from developer to tech lead. At some time, a big American corporation acquired this uh, Spanish uh, company and I became a manager, let's say. And there I started hearing things like Agile and Lean and Kanban and all these things. And that kind of attracted me. And I put, given the circumstances and the, and the constraints, I, I put lots of things into practice as a manager in a big corporation. And that's what, that was a huge success. Which brought me to thinking, wait, Gerard, why, if th this was here, maybe it can work somewhere else. Why don't you try it on your own? So I moved freelancing. And actually, thanks to you, I had my first opportunity to test my skills as a, as a freelancer. And since then, I have been, have been doing agile coaching and product owner for many years. In 2018, two years and ago, we decided to create a company at the solutions that you were mentioning with the purpose not only of helping companies build better products, but also this higher purpose of improving people's lives because 
you know, we spend a lot of time in working in companies and then it's important that what we do has an impact in the world and as is meaningful, we have fun and enjoy and learn while doing it. And I think there's still a lot of way that we can improve significantly there to make people's life, but making their companies better. That's what we try to do. Awesome. Really, really cool. I'm really excited to have you here. You have a lot of interesting knowledge on, on the product development side. One of, as you know, one of the pillars of my ADAPT methodology. I really believe that uh, one of the areas that people or companies do not take into consideration as much as they should is the product side. So a lot of people do software without any much, without any strategy on the product side. And now with this whole digital era and digitalization transformation, digital transformation, um, we really need to pay a lot of attention to business models and, and product development. So super excited to have you here. Gerard, I always start this podcast with a very basic question. So I would love to get your input on, in this one. So what is digital age from your point of view? What is digital age? So how do you define it? So actually, digital age is quite old. I think it's everything started is the days we are living, it, living in today. But I think it started quite a long time ago, around the 70s, uh, last century, when with the introduction of the personal computer and uh, the improving of, of computing in general. I think that was the, the trigger of this age that we are living right now. And because by improving computer capabilities, we, we allowed other technologies to emerge, such as telecommunications, internet, data processing, machine learning, and all these things. I think that was the trigger. And the consequence of that is that information flows faster and easier. It's easier to communicate with everybody and everything that can be software and wireless will be, take it for granted. So as an example, um, nowadays, maybe around 40% of the cost of producing a premium car is software. It's not engineering anymore, let's say. Software is involved in most of what we do as humans. And probably sooner, sooner than later, software will be also integrated with us through biotechnology, if it is not yet. I saw an article last week where um, one of the founders of a company in Sweden, in Sweden, Stockholm, basically had a microchip inside of his hand. So he was already opening doors and paying bills and everything with this whole microchip inside of his own hand. That's the area that we're living in and we need to really learn to live with it because the pace is so fast. So I think this capacity of quickly exchange, exchanging and processing huge amounts of information has been kind of a catalyzer for, for human progress. Humans haven't seen such change ever in such a small period of time. I remember, I have this anecdote, I remember always the, you are younger than me, so maybe you know it, but um, I used to, when I was very very little, I, I used to watch an American animated sitcom called The Jetsons, uh, produced by Hanna-Barbera. Mm -hmm. And I, I remember, I still have the image in my mind, this family living in a hypothetical future where they had all sorts of technology that for me at the time was pure science fiction. They had robot housekeepers, smart homes, video calls, flying cars, and now all these things are here. I mean, it was 1985. I was very young. I was watching this thing on TV and said, oh, this kind of thing looks like magic, but it's here already. I think this digital age is, if you want from a more business perspective, is the consequence of industrialization of three key technologies, computing, telecommunications, and internet. And this has allowed all sorts of new business models, new sources of growth and innovation to appear. And probably also, I would say that the, from a business perspective or a business owner, the most significant aspect of this 
are the customers' expectations are changing so quickly of immediacy, speed, and responsiveness. Today, uh, with a single tweet, a customer or an influencer can kill your business. And companies such as Amazon or Apple, for instance, have raised the expectations for service, quality, and customer care to levels inconceivable just 10 years ago. So everything is so fast, everything is so quick, and customers' expectations are so high. I see in, in also in my kids. My kids, uh, they are very little, but um, they ask me, hey, Papa, Netflix, and they can get whatever they want to watch in just a few seconds. There is no patience anymore. When I was young, I had to go to the cinema or read some comics or, or what was on TV, on five channels on TV. There were not 56 channels, you know, and all this immediacy and it's posing a burden on top of many businesses. But for business, it's really exciting. Like I want to share an example that I had a discussion last week with a personal trainer here in Portugal. She had a conversation with me. She was asking me, Luis, I have a really big audience. She has almost 100,000 followers on Instagram. So she has a huge audience. And a lot of her business was based in commissions from other brands. So trying to do cross-selling with promotions for another brand. So she approached me and said, hey, Luis, I would love to get some ideas how I could actually build my own brand and my own products and, and my own company, not just getting money out of affiliates by selling other products. And uh, I was extremely excited. And she was really shocked and said, you know, you can validate a bunch of ideas in three or four days with your amount of influencers, you know, with your amount of followers, being you yourself an influencer, you can just go out and pose a message to your community. And in three or four days, you can immediately have a bunch of ideas validated by your customers your potential customers to really choose the direction where you want to go. She was really shocked because she was not even thinking about it, right? She she was posting normal pictures and, and normal posts without thinking about it. But this is something that uh, leaders of today's organization, they really need to think. It's not, everything is fast, yes, but it's not, not everything is bad. This In this scenario, everything is fantastic for them because you can validate ideas in a couple of hours, a couple of days, completely business models and completely, yeah, it's interesting. And if you take a look into Facebook and Google, LinkedIn, the potential for ads to validate ideas, to really try and learn, it's tremendous. It's really, really beautiful. I'm always so excited. I, I talked a little bit about it here in the podcast. For me, it's beautiful. With a brochure, you put it out and you validate new service, new workshops, new ideas, new new service for consulting. It, it's beautiful. One of the things I usually say, I, it probably is changing, but uh, one of the problems of big or maybe big or traditional businesses, if you want to use that word, is that they have lots of customers, but they don't talk with them. And on the other hand, the problems that startups and small companies have is that they don't have access to customers to validate ideas. So it's kind of the you know, two sides of the same coin. Uh, I think that there's a huge opportunity there nowadays. A couple of episodes ago, I, I discussed this same idea here because we were talking about like big banks, for example. Big banks are, in my point of view, they are quite obsolete. Their customer service is, is horrible. They take ages to solve anything, but not everything is bad, right? So we were discussing in the, in the episode, a couple of episodes ago, the data that they have from their own customers, the customer database is huge. And only with that, you can make miracles. Right. So not, not everything is bad. It's, it's even if you are really traditional business, let's call it old fashioned business, you still most probably have huge assets that if you know how to utilize them, you can have huge leverage on top of your competitors. But I would like to, to pick up on that since, since you are going already in this direction. So from your point of view, 
what are the biggest opportunities that business can take advantage of the digital era? I would like to think, and I, and I, I truly believe that the, this digital era brings uh, the opportunities to generate new sources of growth in, in kind of what I was saying before. So there are a whole bunch of new technologies, but it's not about technology. It's about finding a new market space, finding a new problem to solve in the world and doing it as quickly and, and, and better than anybody else, I'd say. So, but in, on top of that, I think that these new sources of growth are, should come with uh, more respect with the environment and also trying to always think about improving the society and, and the lives of your employees because uh, people is changing. So millennials and whatever generations are coming afterwards don't have the same relationship with the employers that we used to have in the past. So that's what I would like to see. And I think that's, that's possible, what's happening. And probably those companies who don't make this change will vanish anytime soon. Yeah, I truly believe they will be out of, of, out of business. Five, 10 years and they are out of business. I think companies, especially what you were saying, they have, I mean, they have lots of customers' data, they have the channels, they have everything. But it, it's a big opportunity for them to get closer to their customers, to get the feedback. And those are the enablers for future growth and for also improving the current offerings. I think also, if you want, they have the opportunity to reduce carbon footprint by allowing people to work from home and have a more meaningful life and spend time with the families. I understand, if you want, however, that uh, business leaders ones want to hear about growth and sometimes survival. What should they do no? to grow and survival? And, and I have some recommendations, if you want. Probably, if you want to summarize or simplify, not simplistically, but simplify, uh, there are three main ways in which you can find new sources of growth. One is offering a, a breakthrough solution for an industry's current problem, okay? is what some people know as disruptive creation or creative destruction. And, and this is typically associated with new technologies or technology evolution. So you as a business owner, think about ways in, in, in which you can disrupt your own business model. Fund an startup and with, the, with the goal or the, the mission to disrupt yourself. That's what, kind of what Netflix did some years ago. They developed in the way a business unit that their mission was or their objective was basically destroying their main business. It was very, very smart the way how they are doing or they did it. Take it for granted. If you don't do it, someone else will do. So <laughs> I would rather prefer to be my, myself who, disrupt, who disrupts myself and not someone else. A second way that, that you can generate new sources of growth, maybe on the other side of the spectrum, let's say, if identifying and solving a problem that nobody else, nobody else is solving today. So seizing this new opportunity. It's some people call it breakthrough innovation or non-disruptive creation. So this means and connects with what we were saying before, a profound and connection and understanding of customers' problems and pains in order to detect these untapped market spaces that you can provide a value proposition for. Digital era allows us to have this feedback from the customers. This and also people is more more willing to provide feedback to companies, right? And then there is another way, which is maybe sits in the middle, and we can ha find plenty of examples. in in the past, we we had we had Cirque du Soleil or Southwest Airlines, where you or, and many startups are trying to do now in fintech, in real estate, and in, in insurance tech. They are trying to redefine the rules of the game. So whatever the incumbents or the industry used to take uh, for granted the rules of the game. Some companies come and just change the rules of the game and there's a whole new business model out of there. And this is also very, very powerful and doesn't have to be anything with technology in this case. Thinking about the problem in a different way. 
So this is how I think that they can big companies, rotational companies, if you want, can benefit from from the digital age. Do you want a guide to ensure you will not become irrelevant in the digital era? Download the free ebook, Stop and Adapt. www.adaptmethodology.com slash book. And now, on top of everything, coming back what is we already talked in this episode, digital age allows you the globalization, right? So if you are doing one of these three or more than one or even all of them, now having the digital world right at your fingertips, you can really access to the entire world. When I came back to Portugal, a lot of people were asking me, yeah, but you know, Portuguese market is so small. And I was just laughing, right? Because for me, coming back to Portugal was always about being with my family in my country, but my market completely is completely global. So I still write my content in English. I still do workshops. My official language, the, the company official language is English. I still work with Saudi, Germany, etc., etc., etc. And we continue to attract companies all over the world. And now with COVID-19, that people understood that the tele, uh, remote work is something that can be done and even remotely consulting can be done. That's tremendous. It's I'm super excited because now the world is my marketplace, not anymore a couple of countries in Europe. Absolutely, Luis. I totally agree. And and what's more, I hope that those people who, who were telling that to you were not product managers or business owners because they have a misconception of what a market is. A market uh, and something that first of the th- first things we teach in, in, in our product management trainings, the market is not defined by the geography, it's, it's defined by the problem or a group of needs that someone needs to get served or improve. That's what the market. Yes, it's completely right. The thing what I what I believe is people have some, um, how should I say, some limitations on their beliefs. Our generation, I think we traveled already quite a lot. But if you are from older generation, a lot of my parents or even older, which they are not already working anymore. But if you are from older generation, the world was not connected that it is today. So, of course, for them, the market is the place where they grew where they study, where they worked. For us, we are connected to the world. We are traveling. The last two months, I don't remember how many times I traveled from city to city, right? So we see it in a completely different way. So for us, there are no limitations, right? And and I think the younger generation will be even worse. It's already worse, worse in the in the good sense that they see the market as, as infinite, not infinite, but global on look to the the new generation with TikToks and YouTubers, no? They, they, when they do a movie, they don't do a movie thinking about uh, Portugal or Lisbon or whatever. They go in English and they are expecting millions and millions of views all over the world. So they understand that uh, the marketplace, it's the, our entire planet. And this is very, very interesting for what's coming. And to summarize, I really think that leaders really need to start to understand especially here in Portugal, because I really think that in Portugal, the market is still very small and people still think that we are very small. There is no excuse anymore. So you can start developing your product here, but your market is completely global. Actually, we had a couple of examples, unicorns, that they started here, but now they are worldwide. Okay, Gerard, so we were talking about always, or until now, a lot of biggest opportunities. I would love to know what are the biggest challenges for the traditional business. Of course, we could go and, and, and go into the negative narrative. So basically, we would <laughs> say everything, what were the opportunities and make it on a negative way. But I, I wanted more. So I, I, I would love to get out a few challenges that companies face, our leaders face 
from the traditional business? I think I can think of a few. I try to summarize, but uh, let me introduce because it connects with uh, with the concept that we were saying before. Uh, everything happens faster, so a lot faster. So as a business owner, business leader, uh, executive, you, you need to think how fast can you actually adapt to the changes in the marketplace. And not only that, how can you actually make those changes in the marketplace so you can actually make something happen you 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 lead the market and now let the market lead you and think about cloud computing for instance uh, how that technology changed the way we do things uh, and enabled uh, small businesses or small startups to just start with a very few resources or who remembers snapchat anymore so i don't think it it really matters if your company is a traditional traditional business or a digital native whatever that means i, I think that it has to do with uh, how you deal with these challenges. And take, for instance, Atlassian. Uh, they just announced a few weeks ago their full migration of into the cloud, 14 years after Amazon Web Services uh, came out, 14 years after. So I don't think it has to do with this concept of traditional business. I would say uh, the digital age is impacting everybody and you need to adapt or you need to lead this change. But uh, the faster you are able to adapt, the better. And here. I think there are probably three key things that, that businesses need to think about. I think one of those you were mentioning in, uh, in your previous podcast, because I watched them, it's one of them is inertia, inertia of your, of your current business model. So think about some time ago, Kodak, Nokia, or Blockbusters. It's not that they were not in innovative companies. Actually, Kodak invented the first digital camera, and Blockbusters actually was the first company in providing video content streaming. I worked in Nokia and I saw the first touchscreen phone in 2003, quite ahead of uh, any iPhone. Exactly. So it's not that they were, not, they were not innovative. They died because of the inertia or the power of their existing business models. And companies must see this digitalization or whatever is it called in English as an opportunity to create new markets of new sources of growth, not just to improve the efficiencies of what they currently have. Let me add something there, because I think this is important for our audience. In, in, in Nokia, from my point of view, there was two huge problems that killed Nokia. From my point of view, one was the speed of delivery, because Nokia was always releasing interesting phones on Christmas. What the market did not know was that we were releasing phones one year later than what was supposed. But of course, the market did not know, because there was always phones on Christmas. So they saw that was the new model. When iPhone came to the market, the phone that we wanted to release to kill iPhone came one year later. So too late, bad luck, we were out of the business. And then, of course, it was not just about the speed of deliverability. I truly believe that even if we would be able to put that phone out in the market, I truly believe Nokia would not be able to survive because of the ecosystem that Apple had. That is even today one of the strongest things, if not the strongest thing ever, that why no, uh, Apple is so good. And that requires a completely different business model. The business model of Nokia at that time was basically selling phones. A business model of uh, an ecosystem like Apple, it's nothing to do with selling phones. So, of course, it will generate the sales of the iPhone, but the business model is extremely different than just selling phones or hardware, right? So uh, this is the message that I wanted to leave here. It's Sometimes it's not enough to just be fast because if your business model is not there, you don't have a chance. But on the other hand, if you have a good business model, but you are not able to deliver, you will be dead as well. This is something that I truly believe that companies really face. And that's one of the reasons that agility, speed, time to market, 
and business model as some of the pillars of what we deliver with uh, ADAPT. Exactly. You, it's doing the right thing, but doing it quickly and, and also adapting because whenever you make a, uh, a move, all the competition and the market moves as well. So it's, it's not just that you define this five-year strategic plan and everything goes to plan. That doesn't happen. And actually, I think it never happened, although people still believe in that. Um, I have some more challenges, let's say, and they are related to what you were saying also. Sluggishness, which is, uh, imagine a new startup enters a market. It, it is typically, actually, the incumbents who are likely to win, eliminate, absorb, or or even kill the new entrant. However, in some occasions, they are too slow or their hands are tied up by the market and shareholders and cannot react quickly uh, because um, you may have you may want to change your business model, but there are bonuses and shareholders. Those things are not so easy to change. So incumbents have the market, the customers, as I was saying before, the challenge, the channels, but they also have shareholders and bonuses. And, and what's more, on top of that, in many cases, they rely on a strategy and budgeting process that it's more typical of the former Soviet Union than of a modern agile company. I mean, they do this. I can still hear big, bank, big banks in Spain and, and even the, our country or our government just did this five-year strategic plan for digitalization with the funds for the European Union. You know, I, I have a customer now in Saudi Arabia that one of the things that he asked me was to work with them on the 2020 so they are in the process, we are in the process to help them to change from typical projects to products. And their vision, I was able to pitch that to them, is to really build a company where basically your budget is divided by the products and basically you are able to give budgeting every three months, which are aligned with the OKRs, which are aligned with the strategical business that are aligned with the five years vision of the company. But what they want to do, it's very interesting because they really want to create a company that's extremely flexible and can react to anything that happens in the market and the budget process is aligned with the quarterly strategic objective. So you can kill products, you can reinforce budgeting for products, and that's very interesting. And I really think this is one of the things that I'm, I'm, going, I'm doing now more and more. I establish a couple of partnerships to really do that, to really help organizations to go into products, but not only go into products, but to reshape completely the budget process because the one-year budget process is completely outdated and it should be killed as soon as possible. Absolutely. I think if, if nobody had an example so far, 2020 is, a, is the best example for a budgeting process of one year. Imagine what happened, right, for the budgets. And anybody preparing a budget for 2021, what are they thinking about right now? So, Exactly. <laughs> I mean, how come are you trying to think of one year ahead? If I wouldn't dare thinking about March at most. If I was the, the yeah, at this moment, no one can really predict what is going to happen in two, three months. Yeah, so imagine, no, so this budgeting process. And related to what you were saying also is, is the concept of rigidity. I mean, in an ever-changing competitive landscape, companies cannot expect to maintain the same organizational structure forever. This digital era demands a continuous review of your strategy, as you were saying also, and continuous organizational changes in order to implement the strategy. So strategy changes, organization changes. It's not that you keep the same siloed um, functional organization and you devise a strategy which is uh, adaptive, that doesn't work. So the strategy and the, the structure go together. Also in relate to what you were saying, in relation to what you were saying before, I've seen in Spain, we have recently seen lots of ads on TV about the new banking and the new, the new healthcare 
and whatever. And, and then you look at, you just go and see the details and it's the same old stuff. It's just pure marketing, pure facade. And the new bank, the new whatever is here, the new insurance company is here. It's all the same. Nothing changes. So what they're doing in the banking system in Spain is just concentration and laying off thousands of people. That's what digitalization means to them. And not to me, because they are not, as you were saying before, they are not actually significantly changing the value they provide to the customers of the world, thinking in new sources of, of worth, rather than improving efficiencies, reducing employee base, and getting the last cent of whatever they can. And for me, that's that's not very promising as, as, as a future for these companies. Let's see. I don't know. I really believe that they will die. There is no, there is no chance. And, and some of them, they are governmental and they will have this, the, the, the government injecting the money and they will survive. But uh, I truly believe in few years that will end as well. But um, they will die. There is no, no question. So I, as you know, I, all my bank accounts are in Germany. I just want to cry every time I need to use my banks in Germany. You know, I transfer money from one account to another account. It takes me two to three days. In today's world, I, I cannot tolerate this kind of stuff. So they will die, simple as that. And I don't see any kind of uh, improvement on, on those areas. So, But I really hope they die because then we'll give space to people and companies that actually provide good value to us. Gera, tell me something. Your company is not that big. So I, I will focus this question, this conversation more towards what you saw in your customers. So how did COVID changed You can start with yours, even if it's a, it's a smaller company, but how did COVID change to start yours and your customers' business? Well, I, th I think it may seem obvious, uh, the answer, but uh, let me say, it. I think it's important. Um, first of all, I would say that on a personal basis, because still it's important, you know that you used to travel a lot. And so with this pandemic came the benefit for me with spending a lot of time at home with my family. So for me, that was cool given the circumstances, I can say. Um, from a business perspective, the ne negative side is that we had some well-advanced prospects or proposals that were cancelled right away because um, actually two of them were for sectors related to hotels, restaurants, and so on. So Yeah, hospitality. Yeah, hospitality and also travel. So, man, everything was cancelled um, immediately. So that was not very good news for us. Still, we could keep going and it hasn't been a bad year for us so far. And on top of that, I see that uh, the opportunity for us to tap, as you were saying before, to tap into English-speaking markets and, and also South, South America, which is a great market for us because we speak Spanish. I think that COVID kind of reduced the reluctance of many managers and executives to contract and hire people abroad. Uh, that's for sure. I got many messages from people saying, We always wanted to work with you, but you were too far away. Now we don't care anymore. We just want to jump into a call with you. That change is going to benefit small companies like, like ours. Um, I'm also quite sure that many companies will go back to whatever we call normal once this is over. But, but I also think there's a before and after COVID. And, and I think many business owners have realized that nothing happens if people is working from home or maybe coming one day a week or even contracting consultants. Well, in Portugal, there landlords are having huge problems nowadays because people started to realize that uh, I don't need an office or I need a much smaller office because I want an office just to get the people together a couple of days a week or a month 
and basically I don't need an office. So landlords are starting to have some issues with that. It's very interesting how it's impacting completely different areas of our society. And from the customer's point of view, what you have you still you are still working with with business. So what were the things that you were able to identify with them that really changed with this crisis? I would like to, but I don't know if that's just uh, an insight, but yet I don't have the confirmation. I think that many managers are preparing, still preparing the budget for next year are going to be very thinking about how they can do it differently. Because, um, I mean, we had already a significant test this year. Anytime the president of the United States says something, all the markets just uh, change. And then the COVID and then whatever... Conflict somewhere else in the world. Everything is in interconnected and so fast. And I have an insight that that may be happening, but I'm not so sure. Yesterday, I had a very interesting conversation with a CEO here in Portugal, and he was telling me, you know, we had stuff for we have stuff related to um, digital transformation on our roadmap, and we were planning in five, six years, and now everything shifted to next year. <laughs> and it was not the first person that is telling me that. So it's one of the things that I really believe that companies are really taking into consideration. It's to really rethink their priorities from the digital part, because a lot of executive leaders were thinking this digital transformation is here, but I still believe that they really did not realize how important it was. It was something there on the backlog and one day we'll take care of it. But now they really realize that uh, it's something serious and we really need to do something about it or we will be pretty soon dead. Do you want to accelerate digital leadership knowledge? Register for the Digital Leadership Accelerator. www.digitalleadershipaccelerator.com Gerard, what was the biggest lesson that you received during your entire career? It's not a lesson that I received or someone taught me, but something, something that I came up probably through lots of errors and lots of mistakes, but I think it worked really well for me. So the lesson is... Done, Probably you know better than me eh? that don't tell people what to do. So provide them with an intent, uh, give them leeway and provide them with an environment and tools and support so they can do their best. So that's, that was my learning as when I, when starting as a manager and then growing as a manager and as a coach. Um, and the same principles apply to organizations. So if you want a company that grows, that innovates and quickly adapts to changing conditions, you must set this type of environment, when there is a clear direction, when you explain what you want to achieve, not what you want to do, but you, what you want to achieve and why, and then let people figure out the best way to do that, right? Two weeks ago, I had a workshop with the executive team here in Portugal about, uh, well, I was introducing a little bit of OKRs and I was doing a small example with them, right? And it was very, it was hilarious because they were defining the OKRs, they were defining the key result and they were defining already everything. And the key result on the executive level was already the solution. And I was telling them, you know, that's not what you want. You want to tell what needs to be achieved and that let people down there on the operational level to define what the solution that needs to be done because they know it better. And they were like a little bit shaked, right? They say, oh, yeah, but then we need to really start changing completely our culture and the way how we lead because this is what we want. So we don't want to tell people what to do, but it's just ingrained. So it was very interesting how, for example, a simple tool like OKRs was able to provide this uh, aha moment for them. And, and, and then they really changed, started to, to make an effort to really change and, and not be so directive and really trying to create 
a more open environment, well, at least in that session, to really start to become aware that they need to give space to the people that actually implement the stuff to do it and come up with, the, with their solutions. It's challenging, I understand, and it's scary. I remember my first, let's say, months of uh, be- being a manager that I actually wanted to do this. I, I didn't know how exactly, but I was lucky that in my team there were huge professionals, really, really good people, which made that task easier. But I remember some sometimes stakeholders and other managers asking, "What is what is Gerard doing?" And nobody saw me anywhere. But but the thing, I, I, who cares what Gerard is doing? The team is performing. They are doing great. They are improving. They are delivering. They are happy. Whatever I'm doing, it's working, right? So um, don't <laughs> don't look for me. It's, my team is doing great. That uh, that was making myself dis- dispensable. That uh, that was the idea, right? And that worked really well for me. And I'm trying to bring this idea and this mindset to everywhere you go as a, as now as a consultant, let's say. Cool. To finish the podcast today, what is the advice that you have for leaders that they want to make digital transformation? Well, um, to hire Louis doesn't count. <laughs> I, would, I would recommend that anyways. Uh, probably there are two or three important things. First one is Bear in mind that technology is just a means to an end. So technology is not the, the end on itself, right? So look for ways in which you can provide value to people to create a positive impact in your customer's life. For me, that's the ultimate goal of, of a business. And then the thing is now that we have more tools, everything is faster, but it's just technology, right? The, the thing we want to do as a business is the same, to create this impact in, in the society and in our customers. So stop thinking about technology and think about what things people are trying to get done in their lives and how you can make that better. So for me, that's pure product or innovation thinking, if you want. Then think your strategy. I mean, it relates to what we were saying before. As a leader, you need to design and, and continuously evolve a strategy and evolve it as reality unfolds because you cannot plan quite longer nowadays. And then, as I was saying before, organization follows strategy. So rather than thinking, this is what we can do, this is our capabilities and our strengths, so this is what we can achieve, I can think bigger and define this intent, this strategic intent, where you want to go, how you want to win in the marketplace, and then develop your capabilities and organize accordingly. And if it's two years, it's two years, but keep growing your capabilities. Don't self-constrain you to your current capabilities. And third, probably more on the human side of things, but it's really important. Leaders need to understand their attitude towards life and towards business. And not only theirs, but their teams. Because I don't know if you have heard of this model of pioneers, town planners, and settlers. So it applies to the military, it applies to the business, and and to strategy as well. So there's people over there that are really good in, I would say they even thrive with uncertainty and taking decisions with incomplete information or or even wrong information. For instance, you, Luis, is kind of a pioneer. I mean, you... You are able to adapt quickly to think way ahead of many other people and take good decisions even when you don't have a clue what's going to happen. That's sort of people which we call pioneers. And you cannot put a pioneer in, into a product that is all already in the mature phase. So you need to put pioneers in, in areas where there is a huge uncertainty. And then there are, there are town planners, people who are really good and let's say, productizing something. I mean, you have a validated business model, but the thing is not growing. And there's people over there who are really good at growing stuff and making it a profitable and sustainable business model. You need to identify also 
what type of leader you are. If you are a pioneer, you are a town planner, and then there are these settlers that they are not less important because sometimes you need a product to get industrialized or to get uh, to improve efficiency. Yeah, to reduce, reduce the costs and improve efficiency. And then you will never put a pioneer into optimizing something because he will die. I mean, and then you need to know who is the people you have, what type of products you are, what is the strategy, how you organize around that. I have an opinion that is very polemic. A lot of people get very upset with me. I really like Apple, but I really believe that uh, the current CEO will kill Apple at some point, in my opinion, because he's a genius on reducing costs and improving efficiency of the company, but he's not an inventor as Steve Jobs was. So I truly believe, and it's my own personal opinion, I might be wrong or not, but I truly believe that Apple is, is going to have some issues in some years. Because this guy is not the guy that is leading innovation in Apple. I don't see Apple coming out with any innovation at all anymore. They are, I think, the richest company in the world at the moment because the guy is basically transforming the whole supply chain and, and everything. But from, from your definition, I would say this guy is a settler. So, of course, being the CEO of, of Apple, you cannot really call the guy a settler. But I think he's literally a settler from our definition. And Steve Jobs would be the pioneer. And I think... Apple will suffer quite a lot out of it. Yeah, but it's important. Look at what many startups do, sometimes because they are forced to do it and sometimes because just, they just do it. They are the, the founders that are typically pioneers, what happens. But as soon as they have product market fit, the business starts growing, they hire a CEO, a CEO which with the goal of growing and, excuse me, the shit out of it. I mean, it's just... Just make money. Yeah, the town <laughs> planners. They have people who are really good at taking something that kind of works and transforming it into a successful uh, business. And not everybody can do that. It's like Tim, right? The CEO of Apple. Not everyone can improve the whole operations of Apple. I think you put it in a really nice way. It's not, it's not more important or less important. I think different stages of the company require different people to take advantage of, of different things, maybe. Exactly. Gerard, thank you so much, man. It was a pleasure to have you here. It was really really interesting conversation and uh, man thank you so much and i wish you all the best for active solutions and, and for you man thank you so much thank you bye bye thanks for listening to the adapt podcast head on over to www.adaptmethodology.com slash scorecard to benchmark your ability as a leader to adapt your entire organization to the digital era you will be able to identify plenty of opportunities for leveraged growth 